0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hi, podcast listeners.
0: Hey, guess what? What? It wasn't. I'm not talking to you. (laughs) I'm talking to our podcast listeners. (laughs) Let them guess what. Okay, guess what, everybody? This is our 200th episode of the Ask Christopher West, hosted by Wendy West podcast. Can you believe that? I am amazed. (laughs) It means that we've been doing this for almost four years. And guess what? The math works because we started doing this in December of
1: 2018.
0: Okay. And here we are. Awesome. So 52 weeks in a year, once a week, we do a podcast, do the math. Yep. That brings us right here to the 200th episode, which will air. It's not recorded on this day, but it will air on your 50th birthday. It's true.
1: Yes. And those who've listened to other episodes know that you and I share the same birthday, but it's not your 50th birthday, so it's not that important this year. That's right.
0: it's my 53rd birthday on the air day of this episode that's right happy birthday wendy even though it's not your birthday when thank we're recording you. This. thank For everybody you everybody around the world who's listening to this happy birthday to wendy uh,
1: well happy birthday to you too well, and you did have the birthday first so uh it's in that way it's always you know a little bit well it's our birthday it's our all.
0: birthday but i had it first you're right
1: okay so i want to remind our listeners if you haven't listened to the previous episode, you should, because there's a contest on it that just happened kind of spur of the moment as we were a spontaneous recording. spontaneous
0: contest. Something came to my brain, as it typically yeah. does. Weird and unusual. Some reference to something. And I asked the listeners, do you know what this comes from? And okay. it happened twice in the last episode. It did. And we have some answers. Let's see. That's and I, right. haven't, I haven't heard any of them. So Wendy knows and I don't. Right. What happened?
1: Right. So... um do you want to uh, repeat the little melody? I don't remember what it oh. was.
0: What was the? What... <laughs> <laughs> you don't know at all.
1: I don't remember. Okay. It was too too long ago <laughs> all that we recorded that. Right. So, Jean Marie Gallagher has this to say. This is an answer to the shana na 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 na
0: na that's from
1: the answer is it's from the brady bunch episode where they sing together
0: absolutely okay well done that was jean jean marie jean marie well done jean marie that's right i don't know if you are old enough to have watched it when it aired or if you were a brady bunch (laughs) rerunner um i was a little kid when it was airing but i i did immerse myself in those brady reruns my goodness (laughs)
1: Another reply came from Sarah Henneman, who said, thank you for putting the Brady Bunch and <laughs> and Jiffy Pop in the same podcast intro. Much of the time, I feel your spirituality is so far above my immature understanding of TOB that hearing you singing the Brady Bunch and then going on about Jiffy Pop <laughs> made me smile.
0: Oh, I'm so happy. That makes me smile. That that made you smile.
1: That's right. Now, I'll have to say, as of the time of this recording, we have not gotten any responses about the second part of the challenge which was a it was a a quote challenge from a movie
0: oh remind me about
1: song lyrics
0: song but i don't remember what it was
1: that's some heavy duty lyrics oh
0: that's some right right what movie (laughs) that's right them some heavy duty lyrics you're mighty mighty young to be writing such heavy duty lyrics if anybody (laughs) knows what movie that's from i'll give you a little it came out in 1988 And no, I'm not going to say any more than that. Okay. I was about to give another hint, but that would give it away.
1: All right. So I'll just tell our listeners, if you get this one right, you will hear from us, but probably not on the podcast itself. We'll just contact you directly. Okay. Very good. Great. So thanks, friends. Thanks for playing. Yes.
0: Thanks for playing, everybody. Thanks for putting up with our strange antics on this podcast in the midst of some serious discussions. (laughs) It
1: is. That's true. Um, And I would love for you to share any announcements or information about the TOB Institute. Sure. I
0: just want to encourage everybody. It is the start of November. So just four weeks away is Advent. Even, no, not even four weeks away. Does it, does Advent start at the end of November this year? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of November, at the end of this month, we will be launching our, I don't even know when we're, look at the dates. I know it's the start of Advent. We are launching our online Mary course. And it'll be a great, great way to prepare your heart for Christmas. Teaching this Mary Course is a, such a delight for me. Uh, we will be offering it in person, but not until next June. So unless you're willing to wait until next June, online is the only way to go for the Merry Course, and it's very fitting for Advent. So check out the registration information in the show notes, and I hope that's a, a blessing for you if, if you take it.
1: Yeah you ready for a question from a Let's patron? So this is from a patron named Juan.
0: Hello, Juan. Thank you so much for your support of our work. We're so grateful to you.
1: He says, I'm currently reading A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. In this book, he takes a deep dive into his journey of mourning and abandonment after his beloved's passing away. I was moved in particular by a part where he talks about the bereavement phase of marriage and how we are to remain faithful in this phase just as we remained faithful in the honeymoon phase or any other stage of marriage he talks about how we could quote divorce our beloved by the way we, re- we react to their departure from this world does the tob touch on this mystery
0: wow that's that's a beautiful thought i i I've never heard it expressed that way and I can't say uh, that I've read that work from C.S. Lewis. I have seen, you and I have seen Wendy just recently actually, we rewatched Shadowlands, which is a marvelous movie uh, about this stage of C.S. Lewis's life when he met and fell in love with an American woman named Joy. Joy Gresham. Joy Gresham and they married under very interesting circumstances. I won't give the story away in case you want to see it. But, um, Anthony Hopkins plays C.S. Lewis in this movie, and it's very, very well done, very well acted, and, and takes you into some real suffering, uh, human suffering, uh, in the loss of a loved one, the loss, in this case, of C.S. Lewis's wife. Um, and the, read that one line again, though, Wendy, where he, he explains how, C.S. Lewis talks about being faithful in the time of, mm-hmm. of bereavement. Is that yes. what it is?
1: We are to remain faithful in this phase just as we remained faithful in the honeymoon phase or any other stage of marriage.
0: So is the idea, as you're gathering it, that C.S. Lewis is saying that there's a time of grieving and bereavement at the loss of a spouse in which... The living spouse should not be pursuing a relationship with someone else. Is that...
1: Yeah, I think that, that's what he's getting at. That's what it sounds like and, to me. And maybe not just not pursuing someone else, but actually fully entering into this as an aspect of that marital bond, that the grief is an aspect of it. That's kind of how I'm hearing that. Remain faithful, not just in terms of um, you know your affections not going to someone else, but uh, really living this as part of the marriage.
0: Yes, well, this is close to home in our family right now because of your sister, mm-hmm. who just lost her beloved, her husband Ronnie, and we were just at the service yesterday, um, remembering his life. And, um, yeah, that I I I saw in your sister's face her 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 love continuing for sure. her deceased husband. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's proper to honor that phase of bereavement and grief, and to know if what we profess to be true as Christians is real, that death is not the end. Uh, John Paul II speaks in his Theology of the Body about marriage and the resurrection. He spends a good chunk of time on it. It's a very important theme based on the Scripture, where Jesus says, in the resurrection, men and women are no longer given in marriage. Now we can hear that and we can think, well, what does this mean? That I'm not going to be with my spouse in heaven? Well, if you and your spouse spouse, <laughs> sorry, if you and your spouse both say yes to the wedding invitation, you will together be part of the communion of saints triumphant forever and ever and ever. And what whatever was true, good, and beautiful in your relationship here on earth will not be in any way erased or deleted. It will be fully embraced by the Trinity, by the whole communion of saints, and completed in the marriage of the Lamb. So nothing, nothing that is true, good, and beautiful in this life is deleted it's taken up into the next life and fully redeemed, fully completed. John Paul does not speak directly about a time of bereavement uh, in the theology of the body after a spouse dies, but he does place all emphasis on the hope of the eternal marriage between Christ and the Church in which everyone who says yes to that invitation will participate. So, that's something that every married couple can, can and should look forward to, and some might be saying, well, what about my spouse who's not a believer, and I'll just throw this one out. This is very important to remember. It's right in the Scriptures where St. Paul says the un—excuse me—the believing spouse, the prayers of the believing spouse sanctify the unbelieving spouse. The goal of marriage, the final goal, the final point, the final destiny is to get your spouse to heaven so that you can participate forever in the marriage of the Lamb. That's the purpose, that's the goal, that's the destiny, that's the hope. Wendy, what are your thoughts?
1: Just thinking about um, reading that quote on our podcast and wondering if some people are thinking, wait, is this saying that this is sort of an official teaching of the church, that, that you have to have a certain amount of Time of grieving before you're free to uh, date or something. You know, it, it could be maybe slightly confusing right. in that way. And I, I, I take it, although like you, I have not read this in C.S. Lewis as sort of more of a reflection, a personal reflection on the meaningfulness of this period of grief. And it's not a a prescription for a certain amount of time. There are so many cultural and other personal factors that have to do with the process of grieving that um, there's no, you know, set in stone answer to how long that process is for an individual who's lost his or her spouse. Um, But I I think there's like a deep insight that is being shared here about um, maybe even the temptation to kind of shut down the heart because it's painful and a certain call to fortitude and just um, pressing through the difficult time as having that meaning of continuing to really understand even more deeply the meaning of loving and joining your life to another, that that it involves pain in this way, and that it's it's still a good thing, even if it involves this kind of pain. I, I, those are kind of the things I'm taking away from, from the insight that's being shared here. Those
0: are good words, Wendy, and I, I want to link what you shared with what I shared, that that time of allowing yourself to feel the grief. May that be a time in the grief of a deepened hope in the resurrection where your marriage will be super abundantly fulfilled in the eternal marriage of Christ and the Church. And and I would imagine, because we have so many listeners all around the world, that there's someone out there right now listening to this podcast who's recently lost a spouse, mm. and we could and maybe should be lifting that person up in prayer. Maybe there's several people out there listening who've lost a spouse. So, Lord, we, we ask your grace in this time of sorrow and suffering, and I'm thinking in particular here, Wendy, of your sister Susan. Lord, please, please come into that grief. Be present with that spouse in his or her grief at the loss of their beloved spouse. Mm -hmm. May that grief be transformed into a deepened hope in the resurrection when we will all participate in the marriage of the Lamb and all that was true and good and beautiful in their relationship here on earth will not be erased, will not be deleted. It will be taken up, fully embraced and fully completed in the eternal marriage. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our
1: next question is from a listener named Suzette.
0: Hello, Suzette.
1: I know God doesn't make mistakes and He gave us free will. We are in a broken world because Adam and Eve had the free will to commit original sin. Did God know this would happen? And is this all part of His master plan? Whatever the answer, I trust His plan, but that question popped into my head and I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around it.
0: Bless you, Suzette. It's, it's a quandary, isn't it? Um, this idea of, of God knowing in advance. And yes, to answer your question, yes, God had foreknowledge that human beings would abuse the gift He gave them of freedom. He had foreknowledge that that would happen. And I don't remember where I, I read this. I've read so many things over the years. Um, (laughs) We're surrounded by them here in my office library. Yeah. Um, So in one of these books on my shelf, I remember getting this idea that it might have been the reflection of a saint who imagined, entertaining this very question, that the Father was, if you will, laying out His eternal plan before His Son— and that eternal plan involved creating the human race as the eternal Son's bride. And with full, full knowledge, the Father and the Son knew full well that in order for human beings to participate in the life of the Trinity and to enter that eternal marriage between Christ and humanity, it required freedom. And in that full knowledge, or foreknowledge, in the full knowledge of their foreknowledge, they knew that human beings would abuse their freedom. And they also knew the price that the Son would have to pay to redeem the human race and repropose that eternal covenant in a new covenant, a covenant in His blood. It would take the sacrifice of His flesh. And blood. And this saint was musing that the father laid out this plan and the son knew full well what it would cost him. And then the father says, Do you still want me to do it? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, knowing full well the sufferings that would it, would it would entail for the son the Son says yes. And I think that, you know, whether that is just a reflection of a saint or if it was an eternal reality, I think we can say yes, in some measure, in some way, uh, this was laid out. This was, the, the Father laid this out to the Son, and the Son saw the price, and He said, yes, that's the astounding mystery of Christ's love for us, And the Father's love for us in being willing to allow His Son to say yes to sacrificing Himself to save us. They could have looked at all that and said, Oh, no, we're not going to create anybody because they're going to abuse their freedom, and we're perfect just as we are, so let's just stay there. But in their love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided with full knowledge of all the suffering, of all the horror that would come— and with full knowledge that the Son would have to absorb it all in his own being, they said yes. Astounding, astounding, astounding. Even more astounding to me here, or just as astounding, is St. Paul saying, I consider the suffering of the abuse of human freedom, that's where all suffering comes from, and we can include in what St. Paul is saying here, all the suffering of every human being who ever lived, which is incomprehensible. I can't even comprehend your suffering, Wendy, and my suffering and our children's suffering and anybody else's suffering I encounter, let alone the seven or eight billion people that are alive right now, let alone the however many billions of people have ever lived throughout human history. But St. Paul includes all of that in saying, I consider the sufferings of this present age as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us. Paul there, I would surmise, is getting a glimpse of something of what the Trinity understood and foreknew, that the glory that could come from the suffering in allowing it to happen would make the suffering seem as nothing. What kind of glory are we talking about here that makes all of the suffering that as anyone has ever known seem as nothing compared to that glory. If that glory is real, let me in. Let me in. I desire it with all my being. And and again, I, I can only say the world, I say again because I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking all of this leads to the cross. All of this leads to the cross. So I say again in that line of thought, the world makes no sense to me without a God who has taken on our suffering. Mm. It makes no sense. I cannot make sense out of the suffering. The only solace I have, the only place I have to go to make some sense out of that suffering, all my suffering, your suffering, Wendy, the suffering of our children, the suffering of our extended family, the suffering of all our podcast listeners, the suffering of all of humanity, the only thing I can turn to, to give me some comfort in the midst of that mystery and that puzzle And that conundrum is that God himself, whose heart is big enough, has absorbed it all and transformed it into glory. That's why I'm a follower of Jesus. That's why I'm a member of the Catholic Church, because I believe the Catholic Church is the place, the locus, where the fullness of that redemption is offered. And I need it. I desperately need it. Mm
1: two things are really sticking in my mind right now. One is the powerful prophecies in the book of Isaiah and the old Testament about the, the suffering servant and just seeing the Lord revealing even hundreds of years before Christ came the the intention to heal us through his union with us in suffering, um, that reveals the incredible heart of God for us um, that is so moving, so overwhelming. Um, The other thing I'm thinking of is just how in our kind of current culture, it's quite common to have these sort of dystopian stories, stories of some future or some society that has um, kind of a lofty goal of you know, kind of happiness that ends up squashing human freedom Mm. and how there is, it is not possible to have human flourishing and happiness and even peace without human freedom. Um, And, you know, just how tragically we try as fallen human beings over and over again I'm going to fix this world somehow and eliminate all the possibility for problems and suffering by taking away all this freedom from these human beings that are being blamed for problems. And, um, And really how much deeper is the suffering when the truth of our humanity that is so, the freedom is so essential to the truth of who we are made in God's image. We need that freedom. Um, and I think that's that's part of the
0: question that
1: this listener is asking. Like, why do we even have the freedom?
0: Yeah. You yeah. Know? Lord, if you knew we were going to abuse our freedom, why'd you give it right, to us? Right, right. Because of the possibility that we would use our freedom rightly. Yeah. Which is to learn to love and thus enter into the life of the God who is love. I'm reminded of that movie that Beth, our daughter Beth loved, that explores this theme the 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 giver the giver mm-hmm. the giver. Can you say something about that movie and how it explores? Oh uh, yeah,
1: and it, it's also it's based on a novel, and I I really it's called The Giver, and um, yeah, it really looks at the question of is it worth giving up freedom in order to eliminate suffering? suffering. As I was saying, yeah. um, and but the the powerful experience of those in this story who are wrestling with that very question. If we give people freedom, there will be more suffering and yet also joy and, and sincere, noble, beautiful love. They'd given them both up.
0: Yeah. If we give up our freedom, we give up both. Yeah. 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 Lord, we entrust to your plan, your wise plan, the mystery of our freedom, and we ask you, please, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to use our freedom in such a way that leads to our flourishing and the flourishing of others. Suzette, thank you for that question, and we pray and hope that our answer was at least food for thought and steers you in a, in a fruitful direction.
1: Mm. Our next question is from a listener named Christine.
0: Hello, Christine.
1: Hi, Christopher and Wendy. My husband and I are newlyweds and are talking about starting a family.
0: Congratulations. It's awesome.
1: (laughs) We are both excited about that, but I have had a dark past, which led to me inserting an IUD before meeting my husband. We both want to have it removed as I am now closer to God. The thing is, my husband has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I try my best to understand why he drinks the way he does, but most times he has no explanation. Because of his drinking, I find myself not wanting to remove the IUD and afraid to tell that to my husband.
0: Mm.
1: My question is if I keep the IUD, am I still sinning?
0: Christine. I can't uh, know for certain what the circumstances were in your past that led you to have that ID and ID, IUD inserted. I don't know the circumstances that led to your husband's drinking problem. But I do know, uh, in light of our previous question, that this comes from suffering and from the misuse of freedom, which leads to more suffering. The IUD is rendering your womb sterile. And as newlyweds, if you entered marriage with an IUD, and I'm not saying this to scold or shame or condemn or any such thing, I'm saying it to turn the lights on, and I pray to invite you into a new liberty, a new freedom, a new joy, a new experience of the power of your sacrament. That's what's motivating what I'm about to say. You have yet... To consummate your marriage. Because if you've had this IUD in the whole time, every one of your uh, times of coming together as a husband and wife have been willfully rendered sterile. Now, I could imagine a situation in which you have repented of the IUD, of inserting it, but repentance also calls for reparation. Um, If you break you, if, if you break your neighbor's window and you say, I'm sorry, but you don't repair it, are you really sorry? Uh, it may be a million-dollar stained glass window that you can't afford to repair. Well, then you'd have to find some other way of, of making reparation or repairing. But the removal of an IUD is is simple enough in terms of a reparation for the wrong that was committed and the, the, the sin that was committed. So... I beg you, I urge you, I invite you, please, please, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your soul and your husband's, uh, for the sake of your relationship with the Lord, please, please have that IUD removed. Uh, now, what circumstances might come from that? What might you have to face? What might you have to look at? Whatever that might be, has, as challenging as it may be, it will lead, maybe not immediately, But over time, it will lead your lives to a place of joy, peace, and resolution if you face the challenges open to God's grace and opening your hearts to one another, learning to love one another through the grace of the sacrament, which is now open and flowing in your marriage. Here's the tragedy of of contraceptive intercourse— the tra- I mean, there are many tragedies of it, but one of them is we are closing ourselves to the very grace that enables us to grow deeper in our marital bond. Uh, it, it's 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 like um, starving yourself. It's like starving your marriage. The marriage needs nutrients to survive, to thrive, and the nutrients it needs are, are come through the grace of the sacrament. And when we render our marital embrace sterile, we are we are closing ourselves off to those graces, uh, and in that way, we're, we're, the marriage cannot get the nutrients it needs. So I, I invite you, please, and if, if this is a new reality or you're you have questions about why the church teaches this, please, please read my Q and A book called "Good News About Sex and Marriage." It it is. Uh, It is so important that we come to understand the why behind the what of the church's teaching. And that's why I wrote that book. Wendy, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, so many. I I appreciate, Christine, all you shared in your question, because it can be very hard to share um, just a lot of uh, very sensitive things of your heart as you did. And I, I really am blessed by how you communicated about Kind of there's a mixture of things going on in your new marriage and um, I, certainly the desire to start a family and that you are excited about that is is a really hopeful thing um and that you have a, a common desire to remove that IUD as kind of seeing it as preventing the next stet- step in your marriage and the forming of your family and it is. Um, and yet you're also honestly saying I'm I'm newly married and I'm confused by my husband's behavior and what it means to to love him with um, consuming too much alcohol sometimes so I think all of that is just a, a complicated and honest look at just real life and real people entering into this partnership this deep sacramental bond. Of marriage that um, you're just at the beginning phases of it. And and the Lord's love and smile is just pouring upon you and and calling you even to ask this question of us. I feel his love for you in opening your heart up in this way. I know that, you know, we often say we're not counselors, and I just want to, you know, repeat that we, we are not counselors. We can't speak to all the um, things that are going on in your relationship, I, I do know that it is um, a work of the Spirit that you're inspired to remove that IUD. And I I don't think that is the same as saying um, you shouldn't look at also the fear that is coming up in you. It's almost like there, it's a different question, but the Lord is a, shining a light on those two things at the same time. One is the desire to enter into family life and the fullness of the potential of your marriage. And the other is a fear of the imperfections in your spouse and your readiness to an ability to help him through those, his readiness to be a father. Um, And that's sometimes the way life goes. We just don't have our lives all in order and perfect in order to respond to God's call upon us. And I, so I just want you to know that that's, the Lord loves you right there. And I really invite you to thank him for shining a light on this fear that you have mm. about your husband. Mm. Thank him to say, thank you, Lord, that you're helping me to know my own heart here and that you want his help. I don't want you to interpret what Christopher is saying that somehow if simply removing the IUD is gonna eliminate the yeah. other issues. That's yeah, not wanna, what he's saying. I wanted
0: to add to that because I was sensing the same thing that, and I'm so glad, Wendy, you said that that light shining on our heart, revealing that fear, it's a movement of the spirit. The spirit reveals to us the movements of our own heart. Yes. And the fear is very understandable. You have a husband who's has a drinking problem. And that understandably raises fears as to whether you are ready to bring a child into the world. It may well be the case that you are not ready to have a child, not ready to start a family in order to give yourself time and space to look at what is behind the drinking. And also for you, Christine, what is is that dark past that you've brought with you into the marriage, and how can that be healed and brought into the light? So you may well discern that it's still not time to bring a child into the world, but there are other ways to avoid a child that would not be closing you off to the grace of your sacrament. So please, I invite you still, even if it's not time to bring a child into the world, have that IUD removed so that you can open yourself to the graces of your sacrament, which you are very much in need of right at the start of your marriage and throughout your marriage, but you're going through a particular time of discernment, time of struggle, because of your own past, because of your husband's drinking problem. The grace of your sacrament is your aid to get through this. And I'm going to pass it back to you, Wendy, to say something about natural family planning and how Christine and her husband could benefit from that.
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier your book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, which has a lot of information about natural family planning in it. You and I are very familiar with it because we have needed to use it, it on and off throughout our marriage in order to postpone um, having children at the beginning of our marriage um, because we weren't able, we weren't ready uh, with our situation in life and then other times to space our children. So natural family planning means learning the awesome signs of when a woman is fertile and timing marital union, I don't mean in the time of day, I mean in the time of the month, in order to avoid pregnancy when that's needed. And That's a very simple explanation. There are many ways to learn natural family planning, and you can just search for that online or look at the resources mentioned in Good News About Sex and Marriage. But I want to encourage you that it involves abstinence and that that is a positive. That is not a negative because it is. A beautiful opportunity for married couples to be joined together in their love for one another and in their respect and honoring of God's design for their bodies, and to join together in making a sacrifice for the sake of the good of one another and of their family. So it's a very beautiful gift of natural family planning. But
0: abstinence is an invitation to self-mastery, which is an absolute prerequisite of authentic Love. If we can't say no to our sexual desires, our yes is really emptied of its meaning. And that self-mastery then has a ripple effect on other areas of our lives as well, uh, including our eating and our drinking habits. So that self-mastery that's required of practicing natural family planning, the challenge to embrace that, and the grace that will be available to you to embrace it can have a ripple effect, for example, on your husband's inordinate drinking. Mm. That's something to pray for. That's something to, to uh, open up to the flood of God's graces that are yours. Be not afraid, Christine. Please know you are, you are and will remain in our prayers. Mm. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. If you were blessed by anything we shared, Please hit that share button so we can grow our listenership and keep the questions coming. Patrons, don't forget to submit your question at the patron website. And until next time, you know our (laughs) sign-off. But I'm going to have Wendy do it this time. You are a gift. Become what you are. is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.